The Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. We're going to be joined today by Rick Carpinello of the Athletic to cover the New York Rangers. They left New York over the weekend. They are in Toronto. They're in the bubble to get ready for the resumption of the NHL season when they take on the Carolina Hurricanes in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm going to talk to Rick all about that. We're also going to double down the Rangers. do a Rangers fan forum. I'm going to be joined in just a bit by... Pete Considori, our hockey guy, Joe Chaffee, and Steve Kultz. So we're going to talk about the Rangers, all that fun stuff as well. I also have a pop culture segment coming up at the end of the podcast. I'm going to talk to the great Alan Austin about some reality TV. It's coming back to your set soon. Big Brother and All-Star season is coming back. That's going to be three nights a week if you're looking for fresh TV content. There's also some other stuff going on we'll discuss there. But we'll get it all started this week's opening tip, where we have to take a look at a very... Mixed bag of a weekend for baseball right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip. First weekend of baseball is in the books. If you're a Met fan, you basically got your entire season worth of baseball on a weekend. Jacob DeGrom pitches great. No run support. Mets win the game. Yoannis Cespedes hits a homer. Saturday, Edwin Diaz blows a late lead. Mets lose in the extra inning rule. Sunday, they get blown out of the building. Rick Porcello gets lit up like a Christmas tree. Corey Oswald gives up like another six runs, gets sent down to the alternate site. And... Very interesting that the Mets basically got their whole season in three days because who knows how long the season's going to go. And right now, baseball, I'm recording this on Monday, July 27th, after the opening weekend, where we have a crisis on our hands in the league. The Marlins right now are basically on lockdown because over the weekend they had not one, not three, as of recording, up to 12 players have tested positive for the coronavirus. One tested positive on Friday, catcher Jorge Alfaro. Three more tested positive on on Sunday. The, the scheduled starter for that game, Jose, Jose Urania. And starting position players, Hal Ramirez and Garrett Cooper. At that point, when you have four guys on one team and get testing positive in the span of about two days, at some point you should just be going whoa, what is going on here? We need to stop this. Something has gone horribly wrong. But the Marlins got to decide they should play the game, and they played. And right now, we are recording. They already had to cancel two games because we don't know what's going on with these teams. The Marlins obviously got canceled tonight. They were playing against the Baltimore Orioles, the opening of their series in Marlins Park. The Orioles are down in Miami. The Marlins are not. The Marlins are still in Philadelphia because they got tested again to wait for more results. The Phillies are supposed to host the Yankees tonight. That game has been canceled. Because obviously, who knows how many Phillies players got infected. And 
this comes down to, again, very poor leadership from Rob Manfred because a couple of problems here. Despite the fact that on Thursday night when the Yanks were playing the Nationals that he was getting praise to high heavens for the expanded playoffs being the greatest thing ever, and A-Rod, who was sucking up to him to try and be the uh, Mets owner here, saying, gee, Commissioner, you did a great job single-handedly putting in these protocols to get our sport back. Those protocols call for testing every other day. Now, let's look at what happened here at the Marlins. I talked about this a month ago. I said, if you are playing every day in a sport and you want to ensure you can get through without a risk of an outbreak, you need to have testing daily. Baseball right now does testing every other day. At that point, Jorge Alfaro tests positive on Friday. The rest of the Marlins get test positive on on Sunday. So what happened is the guys, Garrett Co- the Cooper, Ramirez, Urania Trio, they all tested negative on Friday. So they went through their routine. They played the games. They were with their teammates doing all that stuff. That gave the virus two days to spread uncontrolled through that clubhouse. And what happened? Now you got an outbreak in Miami. And the question here is, what is it going to take for baseball to shut down again? Because this is concerning. Epidemiologists on Twitter said, you know what? Like, when you have three or four guys on one team, you have a problem because it's not going to stay three to four. It's going to double. It's going to multiply. The Marlins of their traveling party of 33 players, they had 12 test positive. 12. And that's what we know right now. The virus doesn't always, like, you want to say, like, incubate quick the same pace between players. Could take one guy a day to possibly take another guy a week. That's a problem because we've heard the recommendations in the outside world. Like, oh, you test positive. You need to quarantine for 14 days. You're quarantining an entire baseball team in the middle of the season. That's not going to work. It just doesn't. And I get the whole idea of the daily test of the testing supposed to catch these things. Testing failed here. You have an outbreak here. And now you have a team here where the Marlins went and played a game with four guys they knew tested positive in the span of a weekend. That was incredibly reckless, incredibly stupid. It's something where Major League Baseball should have stepped in and said, "Uh uh-uh, you're not playing. You guys go home. We'll do the testing here, and we'll figure out who's infected and who's not. Because right now, your season's hanging on the brink. And baseball should be highly motivated because they just signed a deal with the players to expand the postseason to a stupid level, my dad. But I'm going to say that because that's not the issue right now. There are much bigger issues, and if we are lucky enough to get to the playoffs— we can have that conversation there about how stupid that MLB is like eight teams in the playoffs. They do this on a regular basis. It's a travesty. But that's besides the point. Right now, Rob Manfred is hiding in New York, putting out statements saying, we are evaluating the situation here. We canceled the games out of precaution. That's fantastic. Good job. But you know what? You can't be hiding in the, in, in the press office and saying nothing. You need to have a statement, like be on front of a camera and say something and reassure your fan base, say, okay, this happened. This is not great. We are actively trying to address the situation. Say something. Don't hide. Don Manley of the Marlins should not be the face of this situation. Derek Jeter State should not be the face of the situation. You have a team quarantining in a hotel in Philadelphia, and that who knows what that's going to do for the city of Philadelphia because you have hotel workers not trained to be dealing with actively infected COVID patients. You're not dealing with we probably don't have enough PPE equipment to be dealing with this situation. This is something MLB should have thought about because the one thing that, two things that never really were clear 
in their testing procedures is number one, what happens if they test positive on the road? That's a problem because you're supposed to stay where you are. You could leave these guys in Philadelphia and move on. That's what's happening here. That's number one. And number two, what is the number? What's the threshold where we have to sit here and say, whoa, that's too much. We have to stop. Are we taking the Marlins out of play for two weeks? What's that going to do? The team is supposed to play. You're going to have the Orioles not play for a week. You're going to have the Phillies sit out for a couple of days. They play the Nationals soon. You got the Nationals not deal play those games. It's a very complicated situation here because in terms of competitive balance, I don't see how you pull it off. Are you bringing Miami's entire alternate squad up to play those games? You got to sign a bunch of big leaguers off, or off the street to play games. At what point does this become a farce? And you're sitting here saying, what are we doing here? Why is this going on? We should stop this. This is the risk you run into when you're traveling across the country to play games. And even by limiting the geographic footprint, you still have a problem. The Marlins... I think our theorizing they got in Atlanta when they were playing an exhibition game. There's a lot of rain. You couldn't socially distance. Everybody's in the dugout. That's probably an incubator for the spread of this thing. What are you going to do when you have a situation like that? Even with a ge- limited geographic travel, you still got it. And that impacts a bunch of teams that could be playing. At what point do you could say, okay, maybe we should bubble it up like the NBA? If you grew up to that, how long does it take to secure said bubble? You need more than one to facilitate these teams because one bubble is not going to hold 30 teams. You got the schedule up. You got to do three separate bubbles to coordinate this and do it effectively. How long does that take? Because remember, you don't want to push this thing too far back until you're in flu season where you could have a second wave and the flu, making it 50 times worse. It sounds like right now the plan for baseball is to go ahead they're going to press forward right now. It's not the other games are playing, the other games that are being scheduled for tonight because those teams do not have known issues with the virus. The key to this whole situation right now, what happens with the Phillies' results? Because the Marlins are their own issue right now. The Marlins have an outbreak. If the Phillies got the outbreak, if the Phillies have a bunch of people test positive, if they do that, that shows you that the game can be a super spreader that the protocols are not going to work, at that point you have a major problem on your hands. If it is just the Marlins and the Phillies come back, like, okay. Then MLB might say, okay, we will look at our procedures, we will double down to make this safer, the Marlins are going to quarantine everyone who tested positive, and then bring up whoever from the alternate squad and bring them up to play games. That's an issue. I think right now the issue you run into here with the baseball situation is just that there are too many variables right now with the travel, with the staying in the hotel, the airplanes, and the buses. Those are not issues the NBA is going to have because they're all in the bubble in Orlando. It's not the issue the NHL is going to have. They're all in bubbles in Toronto and Edmonton. Baseball, traveling, and the fact that you had an outbreak four days into the season. Four days with one trip. That's not good. And if you think that this is not going to happen with the NFL or college football, you are out of your mind. The NFL, with infinitely more contact and a lot less social distancing than baseball has, you can't socially distance the offensive line. You can't socially distance the defensive line. What happens when the center gets it? Is he give it to the rest of the line? Are you playing the entire football game with backup linemen? 
Let's say for a local example, let's say the entire Giants offensive line tests positive coronavirus. You putting Daniel Jones out there to get killed behind backups? I don't think so. This is a problem the NFL has to look at and say, boy, what are we doing here? How are we making sure we don't spread this thing? Because all it took was the Marlins sitting in a dugout during a rain delay, apparently, and it spread. This is a big, bad sign for sports coming back outside of bubbles in this country. And as this tells to show you, sports are a reward of a well-functioned society. As I forget who said this, but they mentioned it. This is not a well-functioned society. If we do not get this baseball season together, if we do not get the football season underway, doesn't sound like we have college sports because the Mac up here in the, in the New York tri areas is the, sounds like they're the latest league to postpone fall sports. This will all come down to the feet of the government, the federal government's inability to take this virus seriously and letting it spread is uncontrolled because it is all because of that. When the virus is spreading, it doesn't matter what you do. If you're having activity and travel, it's going to spread. The NBA and NHL are different because they're trying to do it inside a bubble environment. The NBA is doing their bubble of a hot spot in Florida. They're hoping that it doesn't puncture, but if it gets in there, the odds of spreading are enormous. The NHL, different bubbles, but again, slightly better because they're in Canada where the risk, the community transmission is much lower. You would think they have a better chance than the NBA does, and both have a better chance than baseball. We're going to touch back on this podcast with this topic later this week. Once you get a little more information, have our legal guy, Phil Friata, come on, and we are going to discuss some of the fallout from this, what it means for the season, what it means for the NFL and college football. That's definitely worth mentioning. But up next, we'll go to the hockey world. We'll talk Rangers with Rick Carpinello right after this. Round to D'Angelo and up the boards to Jesper Faust. Pass out to Panarin. He's got some room. Moves in. He scores! Oh, a beauty by Artemi Panarin. And the Rangers lead it three to nothing. It starts in his own zone. He makes a play and then gets back in a position to receive a pass. And that's just a thing of beauty. And he pulls it to his backhand and just reaches out and then flips it with the wrist. Here it comes again and then just flips it just inside the post. Howard can't get there. And Panarin, that's it. Get that leg up higher. All right, I am back here on the podcast talking New York Rangers hockey with the guy who covers them for the athletic, Rick Carpinello. Rick, welcome to the show today. How are you? I'm great, Mike. How are you? Doing very good. And I have to ask, obviously, you've been around the team again. They've been practicing in Westchester. What's it like covering this team in the COVID-19 experience? Yeah, it's it's so weird. I mean, it's so so completely different, you know, as, as is everything in this world the last four months, five months. You know, it's just, it's surreal. Um, you know, you go to the, you go to the rink and you get your temperature taken and you wear your mask and you're distance six feet behind the glass from the other reporters and you don't have any contact at all with the players or the coaches. Um, you know, we're normally in the locker rooms and talking to the guys and we have no contact at all except for Zooms, uh, at the end of the day. And, uh, it's surreal, but I think, you know, it's going to get even, even more unusual, obviously, when they get to Toronto and they go inside what they call the bubble and, uh, there's safe zones and, and, 
and just live there. You know, 12 NHL teams are going to live in Toronto for as long as they're playing. And uh, it's really mind-boggling. But, you know, you hope they can pull it off. I'm not sure that they can. Um, But if they do, it would be quite an undertaking. Yeah, it definitely seems that way for all these sports. But obviously, like, they're trying to get back in. The Rangers got invited back. And you tell me a little bit about, like, what the mentality with them was right about when the season shut down. I know they were making a playoff push, but they were going to run out of gas at that point. Yeah, they were. They were making a push. They had a little bit of a slump when Chris Kreider got hurt. And uh, and they didn't defend as well for just a couple of games there as they had been. Uh, but they were convinced to a man that they were going to make the playoffs, and it was going to be a, you know it was going to be a tall order. They were going to have to. They had 12 games left. They were going to probably have to win like eight of them. Um, it seemed anyway at that time. But uh, you know I think this gives them new life. They they were convinced they were going to make it, but I think this gives them completely new life because now it's uh, you know best of five against a team that they've they've played very well against over the years, and. Uh, and, and a completely fresh start for a team that's very, very young, very enthusiastic, and uh, probably doesn't know better to, than to be afraid of these playoffs. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. And right now, the big question they have going into this thing is who's going to start in goal. And from what I've been reading, what your coverage of the Athletic is, it sounds like Igor Shesterkin is the leader in the clubhouse right now to do that. Do you think they will give any consideration to Henrik Lundqvist, given his playoff history and his success against Carolina? You think it's just Shesterkin's spot to lose? Yeah, I think, well, I think they did give Lundqvist a lot of consideration, but it was certainly Shesterkin's job to lose, and he has not lost it. He has, in fact, nailed it shut, I think, um, in training camp so far. He's been really good in the scrimmages, and, you know, Henrik has, has been too, but Henrik was going to have to do a lot more, and Shesterkin was going to have to fall a little bit by the wayside for for a change to be made. Shesterkin was their number one goalie when the season stopped, and he's going to be their number one goalie until he shows he can't do it in the playoffs. And uh, and it's the right thing to do, too, because, uh, you know, as John Davidson said last month, this this experience is something you can't buy for, for this young team. And Shesterkin's going to be their number one goalie for a long, long time. Um, you want him to get these games. Now, granted, they're, they're trying to win. They're trying to win the playoff series. They're trying to win the play-in series, rather. They're trying to win the Stanley Cup, you know, all of it, which might be a little bit of a dream, but you still have an eye to the future, and the future is getting experience for Shesterkin and Kako and Fox and Lindgren and Shahidal. You know, this is uh, this is a great week for them when when this thing starts August first, and uh, just it's the right thing to to let Shesterkin get these games. Yeah, he's definitely a big part of their future. But the one question I'm curious about is how Henrik Lundqvist views his role with the organization going forward because he's made it clear he's a little frustrated with his his role this year, how he's lost his spot, basically, to he's fallen behind Shesterkin and, and Georgiev in the depth chart. Yeah. He has one year left on his deal. Has he given any sense of, like, whether he would want to get bought out or if he wants to stick around for the last year of his contract? I thought he would be okay with getting bought out. Um if that's the way it goes, and then he can certainly sign somewhere else for a lot less money um, and play another year or two, maybe. Um, but I, I'm not sure that that can happen now with the salary cap being flat for a couple of years based on the uh, lost revenue because of COVID. Um, so I think that that's still up in the air. Um, 
I'm sure that they, they will not put him through a three-goalie season again. Uh, nor nor does David Quinn need to go through a three-goalie season again. You know, and nobody should. Um, but I think that, you know, I think he was headed for a buyout um, until the cap got flattened out by the lost games. So um, I'm not completely certain how that's going to happen. But I think uh, Lundqvist would certainly rather be bought out than go through this again. Yeah, we'll see what happens with him. I'm also curious about how Chris Cryer looks. Obviously, he got, got, got the broken foot right after he signed the contract extension. How has he looked coming back in the practices so far? He's good. He's looked good. You know, he says he's not in game shape. Nobody is. But, you know, he's a, he's an animal when it comes to the workouts and when it comes to conditioning. And if anybody's going to pull this off, it's him. Um, the foot is completely hailed, um, and and he's uh, at least he looks like he's ready to take the team, you know, to pull it across the finish line, whatever that finish line is. He's that kind of guy, and he's he's really a, a, taking a leadership role on this team. Um, his, his physical gifts are um, remarkable, and he, you know, it's another thing now. He's got to prove that he's worth that contract because uh, they signed him with the thought in mind that the salary cap was going to be going up and then up and, you know, and now it's not. So um, I think there's a little more weight on his shoulders and they're probably going to have to clean out somebody who's a, a valuable player to make his contract fit next year. But, uh, but he's looked good. He's looked, you know, he's looked fine um, in terms of conditioning and uh, you wouldn't expect anything less. Uh, but I think it's going to be interesting too that, Nobody, nobody's going to be in 100% physical shape that they would be going into a season or that they would be going into a playoffs um, in other years. Yeah, that's true. And you brought up somebody who had to live up their contract. Artemi Panarin definitely is up to his. We, we're recording on Tuesday the 21st. He just got announced as one of the three finalists for the Hart Trophy. Like, Do you think he has a realistic shot to win the award now? I, I would say he's a long shot. Um I would, you know, I thought that if the Rangers didn't make the playoffs, he wouldn't even be a, you know, a top three, uh, because most most uh, MVPs are, are guys that make the playoffs, um, unless they really do something sensational. But um, you know, now that he's now that he's one of the top three, and let's let's face it too, um, the vote is no longer. <laughs> you know, the vote happened months ago, so we already they somebody in the NHL knows who won. <laughs> so it's yeah. not like it's not like a contest anymore, but uh, you know I would I would think McKinnon or Drysaddle is probably going to win it, and Artemi uh, and Artemi Panarin will probably finish third. But uh, you know th- to be a finalist on a team that really wasn't in the playoffs at the point at the point when the season stopped, um, it's pretty remarkable for for what he's done, and he's been great. He's you know he really has been everything you could have hoped for. You know, I wrote today, we did a roundtable today about the, you know, the case for each guy and the case against each guy. And my case against Panarin is Zibanejad, who is, you could really argue uh, that that he's the better player and he's the more important player to the Rangers. Um, So, you know, and that's not a knock on Panarin. I just think, you know, Zibanejad's a more complete player and a more more of a leader and and more of a 200-foot player. Than uh, Panarin is, and Panarin, and again, I'm not knocking. He was fantastic this season, probably the best free agent the Rangers have ever signed. Yeah, I would agree with with that right now. And obviously, you brought up Mike Zibanejad, who obviously has been contributing all phases of the game. He had the high of the year at the five goal game against the Capitals. Do you get the sense that like 
he's somebody who they have in mind to be the captain next season? I did. You know, I thought it was going to be this season, so I don't know why why it didn't happen. Um, unless, you know, unless maybe they don't want to put that on him yet. Um, and maybe they want this young team to take another step before they decide who's going to be the leader from this, for the, you know, for the next several years. Um, some guys don't handle it well. Some guys try to do too much once they get that C sewn on their sweater. So I think, you know, maybe that's why they didn't do it. But uh, unless it's Kreider, and I, and I don't think it will be, then it's the manager. Uh, and I think that's, that's a done deal. It's just a matter of when they do that. Yeah, I think I think I think you're right there. I think you're right on with the Zabana that thing. One other guy who's intrigued me in the lead up to the restart is Capo Caco, who admittedly struggled through the regular season. But I've been reading some of the stuff you've been talking about him, and he looks like he sounds like he's re-energized playing now. He was playing on the Kreider uh, Zabana Jet line in in the uh, practices. Yeah, that was just a temporary thing though, because Bushnevich was out with a, some kind of a minor injury. Uh, Bushnevich came back today, and Kako went right back to the third line. So that's you know that's that. <laughs> but but he has he he's looked like he looks like he just got a, a breath of fresh air with that break. Um, you know I think he's a kid who presses, who puts a lot of pressure on himself, and and whose confidence uh, you know lacked because he's 18, but he thinks he fits in. You know he thinks he should be sitting in with the guys who are 26 and 27. And, you know, that's not realistic, especially for a kid with a, in a new country, with a new language, with a new culture, living with a new family, playing in a new league against much older men. And, uh, you know, his, I didn't think he would struggle as much as he did, but he did, and he went through it. And, and I think it, you know, it took him down mentally. It, it, it weighed on him. Um, and I think the break did him a ton of good. It also gave him a little break physically. Because he had played a lot of hockey before his draft, and um, then he had played, you know, 70 games of this season. Well, he didn't play all 70, but he he played a 70-game season, uh, which he'd never done before. So, I think a break was really good for him, and he looks terrific in camp. Yeah, that's good to hear. And the other thing I'm curious about is the defense pairings, and they basically were kind of mixing things up a little before the shutdown. Are they basically the same pairs where they have Truba with Smith and so and so on down the line? Have they changed anything up in the restart? Yeah, no, they, they've gone, they've gone strictly with the same six, same same four, uh, same two, same three pairs. <laughs> a little trouble with the math there. <laughs> and uh, you know, Smith on on Truva's left is to me is really questionable uh, whether they can handle a shutdown role or whether they're going to let let Fox and Lindgren, the, the two rookies, handle the shutdown role. I'm not sure how they're going to do it. Uh, I don't think Smith is an ideal fit there. And then Smith, listen, he was, you know, in the eight or ten game, whatever it was, that they played after they traded Brady Shea, he was fine there. He didn't, he didn't hurt them. Um, and and he's and he's had a good season at the, at forward, and he's a guy who, you know, he, he tries really hard, and he's big and he's strong, and he's got a little toughness. And I'm not knocking him that he shouldn't play, but I'm, but I don't think Smith Truba should be your number one pair uh, facing Carolina's top line. So. You know, I, I do question that, but I also quite don't have the answer of what's the best way to do it because I wouldn't break up Fox and Lindgren, and I don't think they want to break up Stahl and Tony D'Angelo. So they're gonna they're gonna go with these six, um, and if they're all healthy, and if one of them doesn't isn't healthy, then uh, Libor Hayek jumps in. But um, to me, it's not ideal. 
Yeah, speaking of Adam Fox, were you surprised he got snubbed for the caller? Not really. I mean, you know, he was he's another case of a guy who probably wasn't going to ever win that thing over the kids that, you know, over McCarr for sure and over Quinn Hughes. Um, but he could have been he could have been third for sure. Um, the, the kid in Chicago, the forward who was third, Kublik, I don't even know if I'm saying it correctly. You know, he had a, he had a terrific season too. So um, I don't think Fox was ever going to win the rookie of the year, but, um, but he was absolutely a revelation and he absolutely is going to be a star, I think, for the Rangers. Yeah, besides him and Kako, who has really caught your eye at the training camp in terms of, like, you think that they're just playing, like, very well right now? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like, I mean, obviously, Shostarkin, too, and, and and a few others. But the guy who really has caught my eye a little bit, and he's only going to play fourth line, is uh, Julian Goche. And they got him late in the season or middle, middle of the season in a trade, and he's a big basket and his speed has just jumped off the page at me during this training camp um he looks like a he looks like a young chris Kreider. he shoots it great he's big um i you know i just don't know what he's going to actually give them in terms of offense uh, and what kind of opportunity he's going to have on fourth line but the, but as far as somebody jumping off the page in training camp it's him uh in my opinion then there's Kako, of course uh, I've been keeping an eye on Keandre Miller, who's not a, not eligible to play in the playoffs, but has just signed, and he's getting a lot of reps with the NHL players now, and he's getting a lot of coaching and teaching from the staff and from the from his new teammates, and, I, and he's pretty cool to watch. That you know, the guy's six foot five and motors, uh, so you know they've got some kids in camp that that are opening eyes, um, and then of course Fox has been really good and. Um, you know, you can go down the line with Sebastian and Panera, of course, have been really good too, and and you expect that Bushnevich. Um, so you know, but then again, these are these are scrimmages and practices. So you know, we we don't normally put a lot of emphasis on those, especially um, you know, even when we get to exhibition games. Say, let's see when they see what they do when the real stuff starts, when people start beating you up a little bit. <laughs> you know, when it gets a little anger in the game too. So, uh, but so we don't put too much stock in it. But uh, to go back to your original question, Gocha is the guy who's really caught my attention. Yeah, and obviously they're heading up uh, to Toronto, Toronto this week to get to get ready for the restart. And I know that they've said that they want to get the young guys all this playoff experience. Like, do you think this is going to be really important experience for them because it's not a traditional playoff setting where they're going on the road playing Tom Myers? They're basically playing in an empty arena with like piped in crowd noise, possibly. So. I think the fact that it's just yeah. these these cup games is going to be the same kind of playoff experience for them as opposed to a regular year. Yeah, it certainly won't be the same. That's that's for sure. You know, you won't you won't be going into a tough building the first two games. <laughs> you know, like Carolina could have been really loud and, and boisterous for the first two games, and that would have, that could have been tough on the kids for sure. Uh, this will be a little more of a much more even playing field. Um, and it will not be the full Stanley Cup experience, that's for sure. That said, once they get going and once the games begin and and and, and you advance, if you advance, they're going to see a difference between playoff games and regular season games because there's no question there's a difference. Yeah, that's true. And my last question is, obviously, you mentioned the flat cap before. They have two big decisions to make the offseason with, 
what to do with Ryan Strome and Tony D'Angelo. Do you think the flat caps can influence their ability to keep either guy? Yeah, I think I I think I have, I've written and I imagine that they're going to have to choose and trade one of them because they're restricted, so they can be traded. Uh, trade one and, and can't find the other, and I think they I think they're probably leaning toward D'Angelo. They'll miss Strome. Um, they don't have a number two center ready yet. And if they trade Strom, then it's probably going to have to be Filipino, uh, who is the number one, number two center next year. You know, Strom played second line center with Panarin, and they, they played really well together. Um, it's not going to be an easy, easy decision either way, but I can't imagine they can keep both. All right, Rick, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people keep up with what you're writing on The Athletic and follow you on social media? Um, well, I'm in, uh, at Rick Carpinello. That's uh, my Twitter handle, and uh, theathletic.com. You can get the app, or you can, you know, it's a subscription site. And uh, I think, I think that they're offering some kind of forty percent special or something right now as we as we get started here. Um, so it, it's a great site. I mean, and I'm not just talking about my stuff um, because I'm certainly not. But if you're a hockey fan, we cover all the teams, uh, you know, wall to wall. So um, it's it's a great great place for hockey fans and, and for all sports fans. I, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a really unique place. But anyway, thanks for letting me push it. <laughs> no problem. I'm an athletic subscriber and I read all of your stuff. I check out all of these sites, all the writers. It's incredible great content being put out there. Rick, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right, and there you have it. That was Rick Carpinello talking New York Rangers hockey. Up next, we'll take a deeper dive into the loose shirts. We'll go into the Rangers fan forum right after this. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. This is the Fan Forum. All right, here we are. Fan Forum time for the New York Rangers. First time doing a hockey fan forum. Excited to see how this goes. First up with me, the guy who we talk to about the Rangers every time we talk about hockey on this podcast, and the guy who you hear every week in the intro and the outro of our podcast, Pete Considori. Pete, welcome back. How are you? Mike, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, we're, we're one step closer to hockey, so I'm doing fantastic. I am excited for hockey, too. Also with us today, we last talked to him about the circle back in, I want to say, April. The great Steve Coltso is here. Steve, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me. And last but not least, somebody who's been dying to talk about the Rangers. We let, we've talked him talk about only his football team before, Tennessee Titans. Now he's here talking Rangers. Joe Joffe is here. Joe, how are you? I'm great, Michael. How are you? All right, here we go. New York Rangers time. We are getting ready for the restart of the season. The exhibition game against the Islanders on the 29th, playing the Hurricanes in the first round. And I will start here with the Rangers. And the regular season's over. They're in the playoffs. Pete, give me the Ranger regular season grade. Yeah, regular season grade, I'd have to give them a B. Uh, only because uh, it could be a lot lower, but it could be a lot higher. I'd give them like kind of mid-range uh, grade. They really were on a playoff push there at the end. Obviously, we couldn't see how that would pan out because of, of COVID and everything, and that's why they've been considered for this play-in round. Um, they they had a lot of concerns, right? Uh, there was a, there was an issue with Bushnevich and Shesterkin because they had gotten into a car accident, and they were both kind of shaken up. Uh, Shesterkin banged up more than Bushnevich, so you saw the production of Bushnevich kind of like 
with or out, which you can also make the, the argument that he wasn't really producing at the rate that he should be. Um, but with Panarin and Mika Zibanejad kind of leading the charge, they were picking up a lot of the slack of not having, you know, Kreider was injured, not having the production they wanted from Bushnevich. And, uh, you know, goaltending has been an issue for them as well. They have three goaltenders that could start. So um, kind of cycling through them was kind of an issue too, I think. So I'm going to give them a B. All right, Joe, how do you feel about the Rangers season? I go a B plus. You know, I, I'm actually going to really disagree on Book Davis. I mean, he had 46 points at the time of the shutdown. So you can say he was on pace for about a 55 point season. Uh, I think that's very good production out of Book Davis there. I, I think and he's a guy that I think gets a lot of flash from Ranger fans still because he was a high end prospect and really for a long time was the only prospect we had. I mean, from trading all those picks. Now, there was a time where him and Adam Tambellini were our top two prospects, which is crazy to think about now in retrospect. But I'd give him a solid B+. Now, I, I agree with the strong you know, end. Um, then you had emergence of guys like Tony D'Angelo, I think, who had who really, really started last season uh, showing the player he could be and the guy they traded for, for Stefan and Ronta. Um, obviously, you know, I, I think some disappointment in guys like Taco. Um, some disappointment they could like keep Libor Hayek who lost his job to Ryan, Ryan Lindgren. But I think all things being considered, um, going into the season, they were kind of a bubble playoff team, many people thought anyway. But seeing the young kids that really stepped up this year and produced well, Adam Fox, um, I, I don't see how he can give anything less than a B plus. I think David Quinn also. I think David Quinn did an excellent job this year. Yeah, I think I'm closer to Joe's size because this team really looked like it was going to go on a run. I know the Chris Kreider injury would have thrown things into flux, and I want to go to the next, Steve, because Chris Kreider gets this big contract extension right before the deadline. They talk for the whole year. They're going to trade him. They're going to trade him. They're going to restock the system. They get hot right before the deadline. They keep him. They sign him. Steve, were you a fan of the Kreider of the, uh, extension? I kind of went back and forth on it. Me personally being a big Kreider fan, like I followed him also when he was on uh, on BC as well. I wasn't sure what the numbers were going to look like. And before, like kind of jumping ahead here with the, with the whole pandemic, they may have, at the time, I think I liked the deal. I was like, all right, seven years, he's back, he's great. Um, it may be a little concerning down the road when, his, you know, when he gets a little older, his legs may not work as well as they uh, as they do right now. Um, so at the time I thought the contract was actually, it was, it was fine. I think it was a little too high for my liking. But now that the pandemic hit and the cap is going to stay stagnant for, I think the next three years or so, I think they can be in a little bit of trouble with that uh, down the road with everything that has to happen this, this coming off season. P is your view on the Kreider extension change. Now it calls up that Steve brings up a great point here that the cap flattening as a result of the pandemic, new CBA, they smoothed it out. So it doesn't take a big stock. Is that impact your view on the Kreider extension? It does. Um, I think that the Kreider extension worked before COVID, um, but now they have the emergence of, like Joe was saying, Tony D'Angelo, right? I feel like Tony D'Angelo is going to be a big uh, back and forth for the New York Rangers when it comes to money. Um, you know, if Kako turns out to be what he is or what he's supposed to be, you're going to have to pay him. Um, you have big contracts in Truba. You have big contracts in um, – uh, Panarin, Mika um, Zibanejad still has a couple of years. Stall, we're going to have a little bit of relief once this contract ends if we try to re-up him or let him go. I'm not too concerned more about the legs, like Steve said, because even if his legs are not like they used to be, he's still going to be like able to 
keep up, right? Like, and I'm not saying Steve was saying he couldn't keep up, but like, I don't think it's that much of an issue. Um, if he was a slower player and we gave him a longer contract and we're worried about his fatigue, I think then we could say like, oh, you know, he's not going to be able to keep up or whatever. Um, yeah, COVID and this flattening of the cap kind of messed it up for me for the, for the prior extension. So I, I wonder what's going to happen when down the line, if we are going to keep D'Angelo, if we have to pay Fox, if we have to pay Taco um, with the Trubin Panera contract alone. Yeah, Joe, I remember when we when this deal was made, you were not for it at the time. So I can only imagine your feelings not improved much since this situation happened. No, I was definitely on board. And also, they also did not trade yes for Fox at the deadline, who was also a pending UFA, which also kind of hurt in retrospect. Um, because with the maybe if the cap went up a little bit, you can maybe try to wiggle yes for Fox in. Now he's going to walk for nothing. And I think yes for Fox, at least a third-round pick, maybe more of a package in with something else. Um, the, the only redeeming quality to me about the Chris Kreider extension is that he is a physical specimen. He's a guy that's not a partier. Um, yeah, he's sure. a guy that talks about drinking chocolate milk before every game. So I think over the long term, I, I hope that um, he's not a guy that I worry about breaking down as much. But, you know, 6.75 is, is a better number than I thought it would be. But I, I still think, you know, considering another first-round pick, another prospect, you know, well, he was Colorado, with Tyson Jost in the first. Um, we don't know what the offers were there. But if you could have restocked the cupboard there. But I think trading Brady Shea also did weaken the blow for me. Um, there's no way we could have afforded both. And Shea was obviously not a bad on D. So really keeping Crider at 1.75 over Shea to me is a no-brainer. Um, but, you know, at the time, I wanted Crider Dell. I'm still not thrilled with it, but he's here. So while he's here, I hope he succeeds. And I, I, I don't see, um, you know, I don't see his body breaking down as I would another guy. So I hope he can stay healthy and keep that physical, uh, that physical ability that he has. Right, with Crider, like, he is he's close to, he was on pace for close to uh, 30 goals this year. However, like, his time points was, was only 53, but it's all, also the intangibles as we spoke about, his speed and, like, getting in front of the goalie and his size and everything that, that can really contribute to the team. And I'm going to bring back, Steve, that's a good point you made about Crider's career high. You know, Crider's career high of 53 points is about what Booth Davis would be. And before, uh, you know, your friend brought up the point of Booth Davis being a disappointment. So, you know, that's kind of the production Crider's been giving his whole career. So the, the Rangers are taking a really big bet that this Crider we're seeing with the Benajad is the Crider we're going to get for a long time. And Jeff Gordon better hope he's right. Yeah, let's go, let's go to another guy's going to be here for the long term, Artemi Panarin, who we all wanted him last offseason. He is more lit up that contract. He got snubbed from the from the Hart Trophy balloting. Pete, tell me a little bit about, like, how how thrilled you are with the Panarin year and what we what you think we're gonna get at him going forward? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally thrilled. I mean, even if this team didn't make the playoffs, I think I think that just watching Panarin play was enough was enough entertainment for me. Um, you know, I finally got to be able to go to a game before COVID and watch them play firsthand. I think it was like the only Ranger game I was able to get to uh, last you know this past season, and he's. It's so effortless. I mean, the the guy is is a god on the ice. I mean, yeah. I mean, we're 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 not talking McDavid, but but he he has created so much potential for this Rangers team, and and he's created not only potential but a role model, someone that these young kids can look up to. Um, 
as as even a leader of the team. You know, he might be wearing an A, he might be wearing a C in the future. We don't know. Um, but he he's definitely someone that, that the the young kids can can model their game after. He produces. It looks like he's having a ton of fun. He loves being in the New York atmosphere, and and I think it's safe to say that the New York Rangers fan base love having him in New York as well. Joe, any thoughts on Panarin? I know you. I know you love the bread man. Oh, oh, God, no! Yeah, I, he said it bad. So I think the one thing that I think really screams out Panarin is he want granted eleven over eleven million a year will make anybody want to go anywhere, but he wanted to be a New York Ranger, and I mean, really, um, when is the last time the Rangers had a twenty-seven-year-old player of Panarin's ability on this roster in in any iteration of the team ever? You know, the Rangers always seem to be the team that gets the guy two years too late. Um, and for once, you know, we finally got that guy that we've never had. I mean, when's the last time I would say, I mean, even Yager in the late 2000s, the Rangers oh, had Gabrick a guy that was, you could Gabrick was the last, the lead goal scorer, I thought. Right, like who's the last? Well, no, Gabrick was a great goal scorer, but an all-around player. Panarin played both sides of the ice. When's the last time the Rangers had a guy that you could say is no doubt one of the top 15 players in the NHL? I think it's been a long time. Yeah, um, it's definitely been a while. So, yeah, for, for the Rangers to have that on top of what the stride makers of Benjaz have made, on top of, you know, I'm not one. I mean, all these people that are hating on Paco have no clue about what they're talking about. The kid's 18 years old. He's played so much hockey over the past year. Um, to, to see what the Rangers are building is really exciting. And our Tommy Panarin, so if you go back uh, to the 1994 Cup team, they got Mark Messier, you know, in 1992, I believe, was the first game of the team. Took two years, they win the Cup. You know, I think eventually when the Rangers win the Stanley Cup with this group, which, of course, they're going to do, as we all know, I know the, the July 1st signing of Panarin is going to be that turning point that, you know, this is when we took that step. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, he's made such a tremendous impact on this team. I mean, he sort of elevated a lot of the young talent around him. Steve, I'm going to go to you here. Like, which of these young guys really impressed you the most this year? Uh, for me, I, I had written these on my notes a little bit. Well, it's got to be Adam Fox. Um, they have a lot of them, and he has to go along with him. Lindgren, that, that goes, uh, goes along with them. Uh, but they've, they've played great this year. He's exceeded my expectations for sure. He's loved by the fans, or especially the, the announcers, and Quinn seems to love him, and the players seem to love him. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's got to be my guy. Oh, I'm also a defensive guy, so I'm going to go with Adam Cox. Pete, anybody else that you that appeals to you other than Fox? So, so I would I would say uh, Fox as well, Lindgren, but I also think we need to take a good look at Shester Kent. I, I really liked how he was between the pipes, as, as few or many times as you want to say he, he started. Um, or played, I, I really think there's a lot of potential there. Um, and I think this past season he's shown that if he keeps working, and even now he's, he's just, uh, in my mind, a starter. But um, if he keeps working, we may have a, another Lundquist in our midst. Yeah, that brings up a great point, which is that Chester came with, been with my guy, because like the way he came in at the NHL, just dominated, was incredible. And it's led to a very interesting conundrum for the Rangers in goal right now. And as of recording time, it looks like the point that Chesterkin is going to be the favorite to be the goalkeeper. Joe, is that where you would go here? Would you, or would you rather rely more on Hank's experience and his num- great numbers against the Hurricanes? Well, I, I think all three of you are going to hate me when I say the following sentence. I know Steve for sure will hate me. 
I think the Rangers and their best interest is to lose to Carolina. Oh, I believe. God. Yeah, shut up, Steve. I think <laughs> that's 12 and a half. That's 12 and a half percent chance. Uh, you, you get your turn next. I'm speaking. That's 12 and a half percent chance to get Alexis Lafreniere. And you want to talk about a franchise changer. If the Rangers can have this roster a year older with Lafreniere, you are in a different category of team. So really, if I'm David Quinn, I am playing Henrik Lundqvist. I think you could pitch it to the fan base as we're giving Hank one shot here. Um, and it's a five-game series. Like You give Hank the whole series. If he loses, he loses. Georgiev is the one you can't play. I mean, it's either you play Lundqvist or you play Sajorkin. I mean, there's no middle ground for Georgiev. It, it's sad for him because he is a very good young goaltender who I think another guy that may be a casualty of the staff freeze. Um, but for me, I am playing one quick knowing I'm probably playing my third best goalie. Um, and and you, not saying you tank, but a 12, the, to me, the Rangers have a better chance at number one pick at winning this, this Stanley Cup this year. So for me, I'm still looking at the future of this team, and I think that's Alexis Lafreniere. All right, Steve, I know you have issues with Joe had to say, so go. A lot of issues with Joe and a lot of things, but yes, especially this take. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I would go Shisterkin. I mean, I'm one of the biggest one quick fans out there, um, but I think, you know, yeah, I mean, he's been replaced. It's, it's as simple as that. You know, he's 10 and 2, 2.52 goals against average. I think he's, well, he definitely is the goalie of the future, and he's lived up to the bill right away. I'm a you play to win the game type, type guy. I'm not a, you know, let's let's lose for a twelve percent chance or whatever it is at the at the number one pick next 12 year. Twelve and a half. Twelve and a half. Whatever. Uh still not you know, maybe if you gave me like a ninety percent chance, maybe I'd say, you know what, maybe it's worth it. Um, but no, at the end of the day, I want the Rangers to win. I want Shisterkin and Net. I think that's the best chance for them to win. Um and none of this nonsense of like sure it's a nice consolation potentially if they lose, but I'm not rooting for them to lose. Yeah, P if your stance changes the last time we talked about this. Yeah, I think they should just go six skaters empty net. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, I actually, you know, I, I want to. I'm going to go with Joe here in the fact yeah. that I think the experience in Lundqvist will be good to give him one last shot. But I actually want to pose a question to Joe. Sure. We're talking about the future. Sorry, Mike. I know this is this is your go part for, in the whole show, it. but I have a question. Uh, <laughs> if we're looking toward the future, and let's say right. we do get Lafreniere. And we have to pay Kako, and we don't get rid of D'Angelo, and we have to pay Fox, and we have to pay Lindgren, and we have Truba, Mika, Kreider's contract, um, Panarin's contract. What happens when we go and have to pay for Lafreniere? Where, or, and we have to pay for Shesterkin, let's say. What, what happens there? Does the long term then, does the long term future of the Rangers suffer because we get that first overall pick? It's a fair question um, because the salary cap only lasts so much. But to me, it's a problem you cross when you get there. Go look at the Toronto Blue, uh, Maple Leafs. That was a blue game. Um, I'm busy watching baseball. It's a great <laughs> thing. Um, but if you look at the Maple Leafs, you know, yeah, they're in a bad cap situation. But at the same time, they have John Tavares, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and that guy Austin Matthews. Like, it, having too much talent to pay is a good problem to have. And um, they'd probably have to get creative. I think that would probably mean trading probably a guy like D'Angelo or Kreider or Truba. I know Truba has a no trade clause that kicks in a certain year. Same thing for Kreider. Um, I think it's no trade for the first few years and it kicks at the end. Um, 
And, and if all these guys live up to the billing, that's okay. That's a good problem to have. And maybe, no, I'm being optimistic here, Sidney Crosby took left to stay in Pittsburgh and keep the band together. You know, you have guys that have taken left. That was the problem in Toronto. None of those guys were willing to take a little bit left to keep the mm-hmm. team together. If Jeff Gordon has that problem, he can try that tactic, but that's a, you cross that bridge when you get that problem. You can't say, I don't want Lafferty here now because you have to pay him in four years off of the DLC. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yes, yes. I think it's definitely an interesting conversation. I, I get the idea, like, you know what, like, Chesterkin's our future. Like, he's looked great in the, in the camp. Let's give him some playoff experience. But at the same time, I mean, I'm very tempted by those numbers that Hank has against Carolina. And Hank was good against them, like, twice this, a couple of games this year. And, like, when the matchup is Carolina, and, that's something I'm very intrigued by. And when the, when the lights are brightest, Lundquist, Lundquist shines. Now, granted, he's a little bit older, and I don't know, and who knows what a playoff atmosphere without fans would be and with everything like that. That's but, true. And playing uh, Carolina, you know Brady Shea's good for a bad turnover to a game. Yep. <laughs> On the other end. So that will help. That will help. Yeah, I think this thing, I know Joe wants to lose in the in the restart here, but, like, for me, I think this is a matchup they could win. I, mean, I think they do match up well with this. You know, you get Carolina's healthier now, but, like, they got Kreider yeah, back, yeah, which was, is huge. Well, I think it's, Joe's not saying, like, I think Joe thinks they can win this round. It's after that is the, the top team yeah. that, right. that he doesn't see the Rangers getting past. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and let's, let's do an honest assessment here. Are we, are, I'm not saying the Rangers can't beat any of these teams. But we're not better than Boston. No. We're not better than Washington. No. We're not better than Colorado in the West. The Rangers mm-hmm. are a very good team. They're not a complete team yet. So for me, say we get – I think the Rangers can beat Carolina. Um, so say we beat Carolina, they get bounced against Boston. What does that do? Like, they, these, these young kids got quote-unquote playoff experience in a no-atmosphere situation. It's not like they're going to be playing in front of a rocket Boston Garden with 20,000 screaming Bruins fans. They're playing in an empty arena with piped in crowd noise potential. So it's not like the, I, I get the playoff experience thing, but it's not the same playoff experience this year. So for me, give me that give me that lottery ticket at Lafreniere over a, a first or second round exit to Boston or Pittsburgh or uh, any of those other teams. My worst nightmare is the Rangers winning the first round, the Islanders losing the first round, and the Islanders winding up the first overall pick and having to hear from Brady for the rest of my pretty life. That's a pretty bad nightmare, I'm going to be honest. But, 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 and also, let's also look at the teams here. The NHL is sitting on a situation where they have the potential to send a loss. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to rig the draft here, but let's, let's not pretend that may not happen. They're yeah. sitting on a chance to send him to Chicago, Montreal, and New York. You're telling me the NHL right now, after losing all this money during a pandemic, would not want Alexis Lafreniere in one of those three markets? Don't kid yourself. If they could find a way to build a New York Rangers super team with Alexis Lafreniere and get him here, the NHL would be over the moon if that scenario played out. Do you, so, do you think? Do you think that's why they allowed a playing round team to get the lottery ticket to get the first round pick to be? I think it's a again. I don't want to be Mister Conspiracy Theory here, but how amazing did this work out for the NHL that now a mystery team has the first pick? Oh my God, how convenient did that work out? I mean, yeah, Red Wing fans are human. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and you, and again, you have Chicago. The NHL will. The NHL just lost how much money through this pandemic. If they have oh, yeah. the opportunity. 
to rebuild either Montreal, New York, or Chicago, one of their major markets, and get this kid on one of those teams, don't think they'd stop for that opportunity. Because say uh, Carolina loses and they get the first overall pick, getting Lafreniere in Carolina doesn't make the NHL a lot of money. Getting Lafreniere in New York or Montreal, Chicago, oh, they'll cash in on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Joe, let me ask you this then. Like, let's say, like, obviously we know that the the number one pick, thanks to that really dumb lottery the NHL ran, is going to a mystery team now. Hey. And we'll we'll say this right here. Like, of the teams that could lose in the playing round, where's the one place you think the NHL would not want Lafreniere to go? Oh, boy. Um, I mean, Carolina, I mean, Columbus. Now, if the Blue Jackets, I mean, the Blue Jackets play the Maple Leafs in the first round, I, Toronto should win that series. I mean, let's, I think we all agree there. Does the NHL really want Alexis Lafreniere in Columbus? And I'm going to, I mean, I'll use Carolina again. I mean, is Carolina really any hot fed major uh, hockey market? I, I think the answer is no. So I think any of those any of those cities where I mean, Columbus is the no man's land for hockey. So if they can get Lafreniere in a major market, and I think the Islanders does count as a major market. It's not the Rangers, but if they can get Lafreniere, Paco, and Hughes all in the tri-state area, that's pretty good too for them. Yeah, I think for me, the one I would question like in this thing is like, I could see no way the NHL wants Sam to Winnipeg. Like, what does that game have? <laughs> or Florida. Yeah, well, I would say the Panthers. Yeah, I would think that the, the one thing with Winnipeg, though, I will say, is that maybe Jeff Gordon could hoodwink them into training for training for him. That's a possibility. <laughs> Neil, what, Neil Pionk and Lafreniere for Trubo. Let's make it happen. <laughs> Winnipeg, think about the situation Winnipeg did. Their top defenseman said, no, nah, I'm not playing this team because I don't want it. Like, that, that's, the, that's the situation they were in. Like, right. how bad do you have to be to get your top defenseman to be like, I'm not doing this this year. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys next year. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, Winnipeg, I mean, they have great attendance. If you watch some of the playoff games there a few years ago, the whiteout, the, the atmosphere was great. It doesn't seem like it's a bad, it's not like, Again, Florida, where they're playing in front of 10 fans. You know, Winnipeg does have a fan base that goes to those games. Yeah, they do. I also look at some of these other teams. I mean, like, I mean, you could prop up a market like Minnesota. That's not really going to do much for the league. I do think, like, if they had their way, it would be, like, one of the original six teams is in this round that could lose. Like, and I could just see them, like, being Canadians. Oh, like, Toronto, get in there. Makes, maybe they'll win the cup for the first time since 67. Yeah, I mean, but at least Minnesota, while it's not a major NHL market, Minnesota is a hockey community. Yes. So yeah. getting him somewhere like the Wild would not would be like an under the radar fly move because Minnesota and hockey is big. You know, you have you know there is a nice built in community there. So Minnesota really is not a terrible place. But I, I think Florida or Columbus or Carolina is just. He'll rot there. I mean, even look at Fetchnikov in Carolina. This kid's incredible. Arizona, yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole theory. Austin Matthews going back home didn't work out so well. No, it, <laughs> it did not. But let's talk, we'll talk about the expectations here. You guys, are you guys in consensus here? The expectation is that they can win this first round and beyond. That's going to be tough. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, what I'm, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Carolina is no doubt a winnable round for them. I, I think. Uh, can they lose? Can, can they play Stuart and lose this series? Absolutely. 
but if they have their best team playing their best hockey, they should beat the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, Pete, do you think that you could see a scenario somewhere where maybe like Shesterkin stands on his head, they could steal steal another round? I, I mean, we saw with Matt Murray in Pittsburgh, right? I mean, granted, they had Crosby, Malkin, and Kessel in front of them too, uh, you know, Latang and all those guys. But, but I mean, look, that's the beauty about hockey playoffs, right? I mean, anything can happen. I mean, look at the the, the year the Kings won uh, against the Rangers in 2014, which still hurts me to this day. I mean, they were they were a wild card team that got in and went all the way. Um, so, I, it, look, it's a possibility. It's a possibility Hank can go in and he goes, I'm not going out the way that everyone thinks I'm going to go out. I'm going to stare on my head. He wins us, you know, two or three rounds. We, I, I can't I can't say that's not a possibility, but I, I'm going to stay on the side of Carolina's definitely a beatable team. It's the teams after the playing round that really concern me. Yeah. And, I, I mean, if you want to talk about a crazy scenario, if the Blackhawks beat Edmonton and Edmonton winds up with the first overall pick, and they get so, Bryce Seidel, McDavid, and Lafreniere. Yeah. I mean, come on. They're going to need the money anyway because their their whole uh, arena flooded. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. At, plus, the other doomsday scenario would be like if Carey Price stands on his head for three games and he ends up in Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, but at, at least, at least, at least, at least, at least, Crosby and Malkin are on their back nine, as good as they are. Yeah. How many years can they still be what they are? That is fair. Right. Then you get then they get replenished, and it's a whole another dynasty of that. No, but you're losing Malkin and you're losing Crosby. Lafreniere will not be able to replace two. Yeah, they'll replace one. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of the playoffs here, like we'll go around the horn here. I'll start with Steve. Who's your X factor for the Rangers in the playing round? Well, I think it's a little too easy for me to say like like this this team goes as far as Panera and Zibanejad go but for my X factor I'm going to say Kako um, I think he's with Bucinevich whatever he's been dealing with we don't know have they announced what, what Bucinevich has been out with but anyway he's been playing with um, Zibanejad and Kreider and all reports are that he's been playing like playing great with them and he's like a completely different player so besides Panera and Zibanejad which I think are the easy answers um, I think Kako's a really important part for this uh, this playoff run. Uh, Joe, X-Factor. Well, since Steve took my pick of Kako, I'm going to go Ryan Strom. I, I think, you know, I, I agree. Uh, if Steve had not answered Kako, I would have said Kako. But, you know, Ryan Strom's another guy that is playing for a contract. And um, if Ryan Strom goes out there and continues to be what he is and keeps feeding Panera in the puck, which I'm pretty sure any four of us could do with somewhat okay he's gonna look good doing it but if Ryan Strom can keep putting the puck in the back of the net um I, I, that gives the Rangers two legitimate scoring lines and that's going to be really dangerous Pete your x-factor yeah so I, I agree with with uh Steve and Joe but I, I think it's going to come down to goaltending I think because it, like Joe said you're not starting your yet he's just not in the picture right now I think you have one guy who's trying to protect his legacy as the king of New York and another guy who just came in this season uh, humbly trying to learn from the King of New York and trying to show the Rangers that he is the, the, the Prince of New York, right, is, is his nickname. So I think it's going to come down to goaltending. It's going to be very difficult. You know, I agree with the whole Panarin, Kako, Strom. With a healthy Dougie Hamilton, that defensive core, except for maybe Brady Shea's turnovers, is going to be a little difficult to get through in Carolina. Um, I think it's going to come down to goaltending for the Rangers ultimately. 
I'm going to go off different for you guys. I have somebody else in mind who made a big deal we got him, has not lived up to the hype. I think they got to get more out of Jacob Trouba in the playoffs. I mean, he's been, I get these not had a great partner. They've been running Brendan Smith with him, which is not ideal, but they need to get more out of Trouba. And let's not forget his opening day pairing with Libor Hyatt. Yeah. I just think. Do we have time to talk about Brendan Smith? Sure. Can we, can we just can we just put that out there to Steve and Joe? Like, what are your thoughts about Brendan Smith? I mean, that guy's been moved around the roster so many times. At this point, is he even worth keeping? Steve, no, Joe, take it. Sure. Um, I I definitely. I mean, let's not forget that Brendan Smith is a guy that Quinn has a long time relationship with. I can see. Brendan Smith sticking around as the, the 13th man on the roster, a la Michael Hanley this year, eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously that contract has not worked out as the Rangers have hoped. Um, but he, he is a guy that has not been that bad this year. I mean, he, he's not he's not worth the money he's making. But to say he isn't playable is also a lie too. So I could see at the end of next season when his you know. Four point like two five million a year is up. I could definitely see David Quinn saying, "You know what? He can play forward. He can play defense. He can go penalty. Let's leave him on the roster at league minimum nine hundred k." And he's a guy that seems to be liked in the locker room. I, I definitely think Brendan Smith can have a longer future with the Rangers than some fans think. I think he's a little bit a little bit too hated at this point. Granted, Quinn doesn't make his decisions based off you know the fan base, but like I, I loved him when he first came to the Rangers and they signed him, then he sucked. Then this year he redeemed himself a bit. So, no, I, I, I somewhat agree with Joe. I think he still could have a place. I just don't. I don't think he will. Well, the the thing with Smith and and, and it goes back to that Ottawa series. Bre- Brendan Smith and Brady Shea in that Ottawa series was our best defense pair. And a lot of Vigneault just decided I want to put Stolen Holden out there every night to blow mm-hmm. for whatever reason. You know, Brendan Smith. Yeah, that was definitely a, that was definitely a coaching factor there. I, I definitely yeah. agree with you so, with that. I would love to know what happened to Brendan Smith from that offseason beyond, because the guy they saw, I mean, and I, I talk about this Steve a lot. There's a difference between a bad move and a move that doesn't work out. I think after that Ottawa series, signing Brendan Smith was a good move that just hasn't panned out, and. The guy in that Ottawa series is a guy well worth keeping on the roster. I just don't know where he went. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point Joe makes about the good move, about the bad move versus didn't work out. Like, I'll, give, I'll put it to him met terms, in my opinion. Like, Jed Lowry, good move, did not work out. Robinson Cano trade, awful move. They, they just could have signed Craig Kimball if they wanted to close Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the logic at the time with the Jed Lowry contract, and Joe, you're aware of this, like, it's not thinking, okay, we don't know if Jeff McNeil's an everyday guy. We don't really know if Todd Frazier's going to be healthy third base. He can cover both spots. Sure, this is great. Now he's played, like, he's played, got nine at-bats in two years, no hits. He's on the IL. Like, not not much came out of that contract. But at the time, it's a good move. Right. No one could have argued against that Jed Lowry contract today it was signed, unless you're Nostradamus. Even, I'll go back to you, Mr. King Phillips, Pedro Feliciano with the A. Pedro Feliciano. <laughs> Signed a two-year deal with the Yankees and did not play in a single game. Yeah, but it made sense when they signed him. But what happened? I, I couldn't tell you. Well, I could have told you that. I, as Pedro Feliciano guy, I know the hockey fans. I'm sorry, we're turning you off with the baseball talk here. Like yeah. they, ran, the Mets just ran his arms at the ground, and I could have. I warned all the Yankees. I'm like, he's gonna not do anything for you guys. But literally, not pitch. Yeah. 
That that far did not get. I thought he was going to suck. I didn't think he was not going to actually not pitch. Right. Yeah. That's the challenge, and that's a challenge the Rangers are having in the offseason, too, is they have to make some big decisions, and obviously the flat cap hurts. Pete, I'm going to go to you. Like, What would your offseason plan be right now, knowing that the cap is what it is and you have Cryer locked in long-term? Man, this is just a tough one. I've spoken with Joe before on this as well. Is that like I think Jesper Foss is probably gone, sadly. Like he's the player's player, but I don't think they can afford him because they got to pay Strom, they got to pay D'Angelo, and I do they trade Georgiev in the off season? I think so, and then keep Longquist next year to back up uh, Shisterkin. That's what I think is going to go. On. Uh, Pete, do you think they can actually afford to keep both uh, Strom and D'Angelo? Or you think they have to let one go? I think at the time being they can, uh, but I think at at some point, you know what's going to be interesting too. We can't forget, you know, as long as COVID didn't mess this up, we can't uh, forget about the expansion draft. We're going to lose one player to the expansion draft for Seattle if they do it the same way as they did Vegas, which I'm assuming they are. So that may help contract negotiations because it is so close, right? Um, so personally to me, this off season, I would be trading people that we can get value from. So we don't lose them to a UFA or, or anything like that. Um, but I think right now you have to stick with what you have, because again, you don't have to pay Kako yet. Um, Panarin and, and Truba are already been paid, you know, uh, Kreider, they're all, you know, stalls contract, I think at the end of next season. Yep. You know, done right. If, yep. I'm, if I'm getting yep. the contract correctly, next off season is Stoll, Smith, Longquist, and then the Shattenkirk buyout drops in six. Right, right. So, so I think I think right now you you, you kind of have to try to pay him or give him a bridge. You know, you know anyone that has a deal that you need to try to resign, maybe give him a bridge deal and say, look, we got to see what's happening with with uh, the expansion before we can give you a number and give him like a year extension or something. So. Right now, you trade what you can get value from and then hope that you don't lose someone that you have your eye on in the expansion draft and then use that space to, to sign the big boys, you know? Yeah. Joe, what about you? What's your offseason plan? Sure. Um, well, the Rangers have about $14 million in space here to work with. To me, a, a two-year $10 million deal screams to me this makes sense for Ryan Strom. Uh, Strom's making 3.2 now. So he gets a nice little race. I, yeah. I think two years at five per is a great number for him. He is an RFA, so it buys out one year. And it gives the Rangers really a two-year plan to find that center for Panarin. I think D'Angelo has to stay. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people on the trade D'Angelo bandwagon. That's one I've never understood. The guy was on pace for 50 points this year. The last Ranger defenseman to do that was Brian Malik. It's not like we it, – 60-point defensemen don't grow on trees. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so I, I think D'Angelo's number is going to be tricky. I, I think the closer to six, the better. I think it's probably going to be more than six and a half to seven. But even if D'Angelo signs for seven and Strong's at five, that still gives you two million. I think Georgiev has to go unless Lundqvist retires. If Lundqvist says, let's just say hypothetically speaking, the Rangers play Lundqvist, he, he, they go as far as he can take them, and he says, you know what? Do I really want to be a backup goalie again next season? Deal with this nonsense. If Lundqvist retires, the Rangers' offseason is wide open. Um, if Lundqvist decides to stick around, I would not buy him out. I would no more buyouts. No, we, we no, no, please yeah. no more buyouts. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, I think you're with the flat cap. I agree with you about Yes for Foss, and I think Georgiev as an RFA 
Um, also, and hopefully, you know, keep brought up the, the Seattle draft to take Brett Howden. Wherever we have to give it to take Brett Howden off the roster, uh, that, I'm fine with losing him. Because the amount of, you know, hopefully Morgan Barron on the team by that point, Garcia, uh, the Rangers, you know, Jeff Gordon deserves a nice credit here for also building up the Rangers' bottom six. You know, I know a lot talked about the Panarin, the Benjiak Taco, but, you know, little fly moves, you know, Brendan Lemieux coming over last year, uh, going to get Garcia for Joey Keane. Uh, if you look at the Rangers team in 2014, they were great because Dominic Moore, Brian Boyle, those mm-hmm. guys in the bottom six that even though the Rangers never had that top line, they had four lines that could play with any line and could really outdo other teams' third and fourth lines. So I think Jeff Gordon, yeah, yes, for Fox going to be a big blow, um, but they can replace Jeff for Fox. I, if I'm Jeff Gordon, again, the number one pick changes everything. Um, but I, I'm, you got to find a way to keep D'Angelo on the book. you got to find a way to keep Strom. And I think Georgia has to go if, if Henry Gunk was not going to retire. Yeah, the thing with that Seattle expansion draft is interesting because the Rangers have so many young guys, and a lot of them are not going to have to be protected, which I think helps out a lot. And I am looking at an article from this week's podcast guest, Rick Carpaniello, and on the Athletic, talk about who the Rangers could lose. And based on the same criteria, assuming the guys could do the same ideas that they had for the last expansion draft, basically his idea is assuming that this also has Georgiev here in this scenario, basically protects the seven forwards, Panarin, Zbanejad, Kreider, Strom, Buznevich, Hedl, and Howden. Defensemen, Truba, D'Angelo, Lindgren need to be protected, and Georgiev. And you're looking at, like, basically your top options for being exposed are Brendan Lemieux, uh, Julian Gaudier, Phil Giuseppe, like, Libor Hadchek. Like, those are the big names out there. So, like, they are in good position to, like, uh, like uh, expansion draft-wise. Hey, Howden, please, yeah. If someone had Brett Howe's number, tell them how lovely Seattle is. They have good coffee. So they it doesn't rain the as much as they say. Yeah, yes, they have the Mariners. You can go to the Mariner games. He, he can go. He can go be the twelfth man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and this isn't a knock on Brett Howe, but you know, if if we're gonna lose somebody, you know, you know, we lost Oscar Lindbergh to Vegas, who I really like, and I'm stunned what happened to his career after he left New York. But I, I think the Rangers are in pretty good shape, as you said, Mike. Um, I, I don't see, you know, us losing any big, big key players to Las Vegas. Yeah, and I will say, like... I mean, for Seattle, excuse me. Yeah, for Seattle. And I will say, it's definitely a lot of fun to be a Ranger fan because, of like, of all my teams, I'd say, like, the Mets are close. I feel like they have the clearest, like, window to a title of all my teams right now. And, and it's nice because if you look at the, at the Eastern Conference, again, as I said it before... Now, how much longer can the Capitals be the Capitals? How much longer can the Penguins be the Penguins? The Bruins are going to be around for a long time. They have a pretty good contract. Um, Postanok has the best contract in hockey. I don't care anyone says. Um, but uh, there's, a, there's a nice window coming where I, I can see the Rangers and the Avalanche being kind of the two kings of the, the East and the West. All right, I'm going to go quick here. The last thing, gun to your head, Steve. Do the Rangers win a cup the next five years? Next five years, I think they at least make it to the finals. Okay. So, if they win one, sure, why not? But I think they'll make one. I think they'll make a final. Pete, same question. Yeah, no, I think they're winning in, in the next five years. Joe, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming you're on board with that? Absolutely. I, I think if, if, I mean, if the Rangers don't 
um, I'd be stunned. And like Steve said, at least, at least a trip to the top. I mean, there's got to be, I, I don't, if, again, pending health, you know, health can obviously change everything. But if this team's healthy and, and Shuriken continues this, I don't see how they don't make at least one top line. I mean, this team, at their height, should be much better than that 2014 team. On paper, they're, they should be talented enough to make it there. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like you could have like a sort of like a young Blackhawks thing forming here with all this talent that you have, especially up front in the like at this. I think they do need like another center. They do need to figure out the defense situation, but there's a lot here. And I'm going to shove this in Steve's face real quick. If you look at all these dynasties in our, you know, let's say the past 15 years, Malkin and Crosby, Kane and Kane, um, Ovechkin and Backstrom, they, there was always that second top. And if the Rangers can get Lafreniere, you have Lafreniere and Kako on top of Panarin and Zabinijad, we have three cups in the next five years. I also think it's incredible we did not even mention Zabinijad that much, and what a breakout season he had this year. Absolutely. Yeah, Pete, before we go, any any thoughts on him? Yeah, I mean, I just, I think he's been working up towards this. I mean, I, I don't think this is any... I don't want to say it's not a shock, but I don't think, it, yeah, I'll say it. I don't think it's a shock. I think he's been working up for this since we got him for the trade for Broussard. Um, I mean, he's, he's definitely grown as a hockey player, um, maturity level on the ice game-wise, um, definitely a leader in the locker room as he wears the A. So I, I, I really don't think it's a shocker to, to the New York Ranger fans that, that, that he's, he's getting to this level of play. And I think he has more room to grow. I honestly think that, you know, he could do better. I mean, I remember – a few years ago, we were complaining about how he couldn't hit the net for most of his, you know, shots. And now he's settled down more. He's playing in a bigger, bigger market than he was in Ottawa. Um, and he settled down. He's and he's producing, and I think he's just going to keep going up. I don't think he's hit a ceiling yet. So, uh, not a shock for me. Yeah, Joe mentioned a uh, Pasternak contract, but Mika's advantage with the Rangers is pretty team friendly as well. Yeah, it is. Um, it is. I think Pasternak goes a few more years as advantage, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, looking. I mean, one thing, the biggest thing that the Ranger ha- Rangers have here in their, in their favor is that Jeff Gordon's been a wizard at GM between all the gymnastics pulled with Winnipeg over the Jacob Truba thing and basically flipping like Kevin Hayes and a pick to Winnipeg, then getting the pick back. I mean, that was pretty nuts. And I think that one and the heist for me still the Zabana Dad trade, where he basically got him and a second round pick for Tarek Broussard. And you know what we did that second round pick? Yeah. Eric Stahl, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about a Lofgren, uh, Elaine Mignot's biggest gap? And that one, boy. Yeah, that was the biggest he win. Handled. That was a big, that that one, that decision, and then obviously, Strawman for Dan Boyle also a bad call. Well, um, I'm still going to say, and uh, I, I think Steve knows what's coming here. Um, I don't think Alain you misuse any player more than Keith Yandel. I mean, Yandel is still putting up points in Florida. And for whatever reason, Alain Mignot did not put him on a power play. I, I've still never figured it out. I've tried hard for years. I can't do it. <laughs> um, I mean, it, that, that brings me back to the whole Tortorella, Tortorella uh, excuse me, I can't talk, Tortorella-Kreider situation. I mean, Tortorella yeah. sent Kreider up and down about 85 times. <laughs> and no one could understand why. Yeah. But, he hated him. Uh, like, it, I think in retrospect, Corral looks pretty good here because Kreider still has never, up until this season, he's 
still had never been that guy that I think a lot of fans thought he would be. Yeah, I think with that, I think we'll leave it here. We'll close the Ranger fan forum. If they get if they go on the deep run, we'll all come back. We'll talk about it. But for now, we'll we'll call it here. We're on the horn. Get ready some social yeah, media. No one, no one's going to be uh, more sad if the Rangers win the first round more than Joe. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, if we win the first round, we better win the whole thing. That's <laughs> all right. If we win the first round and win the whole thing, I will start the COVID cup parade myself. <laughs> if we win the first round and go out in a whimper in round two or three, not getting that Lafreniere shot to me is a mistake. Well, we'll see what happens. They'll go around the horn real quick. Everybody, some social media plugs. Uh, Pete, you want to go first? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at pjconsidori29 or Instagram peterj392. And Pete, we'll talk to you next week. We'll talk some holy moly next week. Oh yeah, that'll be fun. <laughs> it will it's be a great show. Great show. And Steve, how about you? How people follow you on social media? Uh, on Twitter is at Steve underscore Colto, K-U-L-T-Z-O-W. And Joe, how about you? Uh, underscore, exactly J underscore Choppy, C-I-O-F-F-I. And my Instagram handle is my full name, Joseph Joe Choppy. At any time, come on and talk hockey, baby. All right. That sounds good. Thanks again, guys, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. you got it. All right. Up next, I'm going to do a little pop culture Talk some TV with Alan Austin right after this. All right, we are back here. Time for the pop culture segment on the podcast. But I said last week is not going away because sports will be on a thread. Joining me this week, we're going to get to the reality TV at all in a moment. First, welcome back the winner of the baseball movie draft, according to the Twitter polls, Alan Austin. Alan, how are you? I am well, and I'm even better now knowing that the fans agree that I have the best list. What a what an honor. Yeah, you narrowly edged out John Stanko the top for the top spot in the baseball draft poll. Uh, Sam DeRose and I tied for third in the poll, but you came out on top here. So congratulations. Well-earned win. I appreciate that. And I think, you know, Stanko, as good as his list was, it was brought down by a documentary, as good as documentaries are. Yeah, I think the still we believe pick, I know why he did it, but I think that was probably why he fell behind. I think if he'd taken one more solid movie, he could have pushed past you. Yeah, a little bit of self-fan service by uh, Mr. Stanko there. Yeah, I'm also disappointed the Costner fan that did not come out and drove to support me on this poll. Yeah, unfortunately, I feel like the Costner demographic maybe not as active on Twitter as you'd hoped. Yeah, not as active as we'd hoped. And, I mean, I talked about to the top of the podcast. It's going to be an emergency podcast coming next week. The reason why podcasts are still going, sports basically on a basically they're on a tightrope right now, and baseball might fall right off of this thing. Yeah, it's not looking good. The The testing is not where it needs to be, and I don't think it should be where it needs to be on a social level. And, and what I mean by that is I feel like the common man's test results should be given just as quick as a sport athlete. And it's just not – everything just seems off kilter. Everything just seems out of whack. It almost feels like we are shoehorning sports into society because – financial reasons for the owners and the companies and also because the fans need something to distract themselves but at the same time we don't want to make things worse before they get better and we also don't want to spin our wheels in a disaster situation 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, sports, I've seen this quote somewhere, I forget who originally said it, but it makes a good point. Sports are a reward for a well-functioning society. And right now, with the way the virus is spreading this country, we're just not. Now, and I believe that's a Sean Doolittle quote, but it's yes. probably, it might be, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's always been very at the forefront of social activism and doing what's right. So a guy like Sean Doolittle is saying this isn't right. I tend to agree with him. And he's on the inside. Yeah, he's he's on the inside. He's getting tested every day. He knows, like, boy, like, this might not go well. He's very well read. And, like, I'm going to talk about this more, like, on the next episode of the pod. doing an emergency episode later this week. Once you get more details on what the fallout of this is. We're recording on Monday, the day when they find out the Marlins and the and the Phillies games got postponed tonight because the Marlins have gone from one positive COVID test to about a dozen among the players, plus some coaches. We don't know yet. The Phillies are affected. Once we skip more fallout from this, and I think – I think you'll agree with me on this. I think what happens with the Phillies here, I think is going to be very key to what MLB's next steps are. A hundred percent. And honestly, between you and me, this isn't just me wishful thinking. I've got to think the Phillies will be okay. Yeah. I've got to think that we know enough about the disease to know that unless there was any contact with players like, uh, like sneak hangouts with visiting players, unless but saying none of that happened and it was strictly on the field gameplay, I've got to think the Phillies will be okay. And that's just me personally. But if anything did go down, and for lack of a better term, spit got swapped. I'm not saying these guys were making out. I'm just saying any anything that could have caused the disease to go out and, and infect another person happened that wasn't on the field, we're in trouble. Yeah. I think the easy way to put this is like the theory that right now that the Marlins go is that they got in Atlanta where they played a exhibition game, I think, on – maybe Tuesday before the season started where there was a rain delay and they were all kind of like in the dugout together that I can see that being the hot spot where it all sort of spread from one person to the other. And just the delay in the incubation period probably is what got everyone there. And I, that's, I highly doubt the Marlins and Phillies are hanging out, hiding out in dugouts together. So I don't think that would be the issue. The issue would be like, if like, and I also think shame on MLB from, leaving the decision to play on Sunday up to the Marlins. I've said this on top of the show. This was extremely stupid on their part and very reckless, super spread potential event that could put the entire season in jeopardy. Yeah, and you know what? One team goes down, that's it for everybody. Because yeah. the Marlins themselves, as a team, should be quarantined for two weeks now, theoretically. So what are you going to do? You're going to have a uh, Shane Falco replacement situation for one team? I don't think you're going to be able to do that. No, I mean, I, I think the thing they're holding to right now as of recording times, they're saying, okay, we'll see, we'll test everybody again today, see who comes out positive, take whoever is negative back with us to play and then bring up whoever we need to from the taxi squad. But at what point does it come to sham? Because you just have, like, basically the entire Marlins starting lineup out and you're replacing with, like, B, B and C squad players. Right, and it doesn't matter if you're the Marlins or Yankees. No team should have to do that. No. I also do. So, th- I think the skeptic in me also says, you know what? This is a kind of a case where, like, if this was the New York Yankees, this happened to, I think we'd be a lot quicker to drop the hammer than if it was the Marlins. Yeah, it's a little biased for sure, for sure. But I mean, as of this recording, noon on Monday, July twenty seventh, I am not feeling great about the hopes of a continued MLB season. Yeah, I would agree with you. I said when this thing started, I said. I think we're getting the starting line. I said about 40% we get to the finish. I think that was a little high. We're only in the first weekend. And we're <laughs> like, we are facing a 
uncertain future, to say the least. So it's not looking good. It is not looking good. Again, bonus episodes of the podcast coming this week. I'm going to be talking to our legal guy, Phil Freya. Once we get more information about this, we will put something out there. But we'll get to why you're here today. We'll talk about the pop culture a little bit. And I have to say, as much uncertainty as the sports have right now, I think TV in general has a much more uncertain future. Well, you got to think about productions. What The amount of people that it takes to make a movie and a TV show is so many. You know, the common viewer doesn't realize that even in an intimate scene, there are, you know, about 10 people behind the camera all doing something. So you're going to have to do skeleton crews for productions. And for big budget blockbuster movies, you just can't do that. So it's going to be very interesting to see when productions pick up again. And honestly, I don't think they will until the new year. Yeah, I mean, we talk. I mean, you're somebody who has a little bit of background in the entertainment industry, so that's why I wanted to talk to you about this because obviously, like, we've heard talk some of these shows that film in Canada with the virus is much better control are trying to get back to work soon. But, like, a lot of this industry is in LA, which is its own dis- disaster situation with the virus right now. And, like, a lot of these shows, like, when they're supposed to come back in late September, early October, like, they would have to be filming, like, in June to get ready for that. And nothing has started yet, so. Not that nothing will happen until at least a month from now. So if you're a right. fan of like an NCIS, you're a fan of like M- of not Empire, I want to think of good networks, like another good like network drama, say like Law and Order SVU, like you're not seeing the show on like time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I would say that calendar wise, you're not looking at a pickup, uh, new episodes of shows unless they're already in the camp, but let's say they're not until mid to late 21, the late, the earliest. Yep. the earliest and then for all your big budget movies that are looking to get back on track 2022 is going to be a big se- a big year i'll tell you that yeah everything yeah because like i think next year i think 21 is going to be sort of like whatever was supposed to come out in 20 is going to come out in 21 for the most part i feel like so right and then whatever's supposed to come out and it'll go on and on until about 2024 when everything catches up to itself yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because I do feel like the CW I know went, basically said their entire fall lineup is gonna go to January, which I think that's a more realistic timetable than like some of these broadcasts now, like CBS, NBC, and ABC. Basis, okay, we're here's our lineup. We don't know when it's coming, but this is what we're gonna start with, and they're not gonna have much. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you gotta also keep in mind that it doesn't take one day to film something. No. It could take multiple weeks, months. And you pile that on, and and you got to remember one other thing, which is actor, producer, director, writer, scheduling conflicts for the future. Because you, you blocked out this time in 2020 to film something, and then you move on to the next and the next, and before you know it, projects are going to have to recast, projects are going to have to rehire. It's going to be a a storm of confusion, uncertainty, and rearranging that most productions are going to have to deal with. Yeah, I think the only things you're going to see right now are. Whatever sports we do manage to pull off, like I think right now the safest bets are the bubble sports. So the NBA, the NHL, I think you're going to see quite a bit of, assuming that they're able to keep, uh, keep it safe. Yeah, I don't think UFC is going anywhere either. Yeah, UFC won't either. You'll get golf. That's that's still that's been managing to go on. That's a much easier operation to run. But like NFL supposed to be in there. We'll see. I'm skeptical right now, and I think the NFL is a little more skeptical after what happened with the Marlins. But you're going to get right. plenty and plenty and plenty of reality TV if you want it. And let's keep in mind the vaccine. If the vaccine comes and it's good and it can be mass produced, that's the game changer. But that's an uncertainty. 
Yeah, we don't know when that's coming. That could come in January. Right. That could come in next June. We don't know. Right. Absolutely. It, and uh, I feel bad for Dr. Fauci because some people complain about his flip-flopping, but he can only go based on what he's got. And yeah. he's not going to go a day without trying to inform. So I have no problem with the flip-flopping because nobody knows anything for certain anyway. So I'd rather be kept up to date on what everyone's thinking than nothing at all. Yeah, that's true. And speak, we'll go to the reality TV bubble a bit because I looked at, I mean, Fox's lineup is heavy on reality shows. CBS has a bunch in production right now. And right, one of the big things that they're trying to get off the ground right now is they just announced last week that your favorite show, Big Brother, is having an all-star season starting on August 5th. So you want to dive a little bit into that and tell me like what's got you intrigued about this production setup here. Well, Big Brother is one of my, well, not one of my, it is my favorite reality show, and it's one of my favorite shows overall. It's a great, do you want me to give any backstory on the show as a whole? Sure. All right, well, Big Brother is, it's based off, and they even say it in the end credits that there's no affiliation, so it's not really based off, but the idea of Big Brother from George Orwell's 1984, where the government's always watching you. So, with that concept in mind, you have a house of 16 contestants, a camera is always watching them. The live feeds, as they call them, broadcast the every move of these contestants on the internet. And what these contestants must do are face challenges, both physical and mental, form allegiances and alliances, and try to be the last person standing after a house eviction every week. It's great fun. The, com the competitions are balanced and I would say they are wildly imaginative, although they get repetitive year after year, but they are still good quality competitions. You don't have to be a physical beast to win the game, and you don't have to be a mental juggernaut to win the game. It's just based on social and mental and physical abilities. It's a wonderfully fun competition. It does lead to some like intense situations, and it's not necessarily the most feel-good show, but not in a bad way. It's just a, a very intense competitive show, and it's, I love it. Yeah, and I also point out, your description is all true, but not necessarily the way that CBS markets the show. CBS does like to focus on, oh, they're all these wacky people living in their house together. They're doing ridiculous competitions where they're, like, getting hit with big balls and they're getting slimed, and that's what they want to tell you about, but it's a much deeper show than that. Oh, for sure. If you're thinking about it the way CBS markets it, markets it, you're looking at half the house are recruited models that they just bring on the show so that the models can get Instagram and Twitter followers after and can launch products. But then you've got the eight who really love the show and the fans. And I, they hit the archetypes every year. And my favorite archetype, who I'm always a homer for, is the old guy character or the old lady character. And by old, I'm talking in their 40s and 50s here. But that's the way the show is. So you're going to have the eight model types with the, you know, that deliver their diary room sessions like scripted robots. But you're also going to have the characters who love the show and know what they're getting into. And those are the characters that I always point to. So yes, you're right. CBS would like you to think here are a bunch of hot people doing wacky things, but really it's a show about, it's a social experiment. It is. And the, this is also the second all-star season of the show's history. The last one came back in 2006. They, they brought people back couple of times every now and then, but this is the first time since they've done a full-blown All-Stars, and I know you and I were talking off the air. We thought there might be a cast reveal today. I think that's been pushed back a little bit, but here, who are some people who are rumored to be in the mix that you were intrigued about? Well, there, there you got to remember one thing in this COVID society. All-Stars equates to who can we get? Yes. 
So you're not necessarily getting all-stars. And Big Brother all-stars don't necessarily need to be people who went far in the game. To me, a Big Brother all-star means more of a fan favorite type or a fan hated who was good at the game type. So big personality. To me, that's what a Big Brother all-star is, a big personality for better or worse. And maybe arguably one of the biggest Big Brother personalities, Paul from seasons 18 and 19 is rumored to be in this cast. And if you're thinking season 18, Paul, you're like, wow, there's a guy who had a big personality, worked hard, and probably should have won the game. And if you're thinking season 19, Paul, you're like the worst person that ever lived in the Big Brother house. So that's one giant personality. And if you mix him with his season 19 cohort, Josh Martinez, Paul and Josh, if they come back into the house, that for sure is going to be busting TV, whether it be for good or bad. Yeah, I think he's someone who could be interesting if he gets back in there. From season 20, Tyler, I think, is a combination of a good player and entertaining on TV. And in terms of just, like, somebody who's not great at the game and but would be phenomenal television, Davon from season 17 and 18, always willing to mix it up with people, creates very entertaining television. So she's somebody I'm always happy when they bring her on the show. Mama Day is the best DR they have, the best at Diary Room. And Tyler is unbelievable Tyler's one of my favorite players ever and Tyler like you said is a mix of both you know entertaining and good at the game and one American's favorite which you usually don't see from that archetype which is the he was the like dumb stonery type even though he didn't play that at all it's almost like in his intro video they're like here's the dumb surfer of the season and then once you get in the game he's the most calculated one is the group, which I loved. I loved the misdirection there, whether CBS meant to do it or not. So I'm a big fan of Tyler. Yeah, and one thing I think that makes this show very appealing for CBS is obviously, like, this show airs multiple nights a week. So, like, they have a two-hour live premiere, which I think, you want to talk about that for a second, how unprecedented it is, that they're going to basically, usually what the show does is, like, they send everybody in the house, they play the game for a week, then they show you the first week basically on the episodes this time they're dropping everybody in the show as the show starts which is highly unusual yeah live feeds don't usually kick in until a week or so after the house gets moved in first time ever a live move in and i think they're able to get away with that because there's already a built-in audience because the, the the players are celebrities at this point at least big brother celebrities so you don't have to worry about the ratings, the ratings will be there. People are itching for this, especially the reality show crowd, because Big Brother has a huge audience. So to have the live move in is pretty great, and it's pretty smart on CBS's part, because you don't need to do anything else. Like, this is just a shoe-in that will work. It will, and plus, this is sort of like, as I like to call it for, like, you, as somebody who's been in the industry, you probably wear this, I call it, like, scheduling spackle, where, like, this is a show that airs three nights a week. So when CBS does not have like NCIS ready to go or like I want to say like like SWAT ready to go, you can stick an episode on CBS like CBS three nights a week and have three nights covered with just Big Brother episodes of original content. Not not to mention they literally have almost 24 hours a day of footage. They can scramble together two hour episodes every time if they need to. Like it's probably not going to be great, but they could do it. So it's really a a thing that CBS really hopes will stick. And I know you're going to get into it, but I want to, the bubble aspect. But before we do that, I just want to mention that the casting rumors have an interesting mix of old and new, so to speak. And if Janelle comes back for a fourth time, 
that's something to watch. Yeah, they do have a good mix of people in there. There's some people I see on the rumor list. I'm not gonna get too deep into the into the rabbit hole here. Where you're like, why the hell are they here? Like they make no sense why they're invited. And then you see something like, oh, cool! I can't wait to see that person again. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, unfortunately, after all the rumors, my favorite Big Brother player of all time, Dan Giesling, not coming back. Yeah, well, that one I know. Like he likes to troll the Twitter audience. I know he had rumors around like, am I going back? Am I not? Like, but like. Even without Dan, I think the the, the messy pregame stuff, you can follow Big Brother Twitter for all the latest on that. Like, this could be a very, like, sloppy season, lots of fighting, lots of craziness. That could make it very entertaining television. Absolutely, and I uh, hope for nothing less than that. Now, we I teased it. Do you want to get into how they're going to try and make this season work? Yeah, I think, uh, to put this in broad terms, basically, like, for the sports fans, like, the NBA and the NHL, they're doing bubbles around the whole, like, atmosphere. So, like, players go in there, the league officials go in there, coaches go in there, nobody leaves. Like, the similar idea for the, for the production, where they basically have, like, RVs set up on set. They're building social pods where, like, people are going to work socially distance from each other. You have crews staying on site. So, basically, they're building a big brother bubble outside the actual house. They're building, like, a sort of a crew bubble, too, to ensure that the they can work safely in LA, which is still a virus hotspot. Yeah, and they're gonna they're gonna cycle the crew in and out so they only work weeks at a time, which is smart because that's a tough production to be crew on. Yeah. And it's gonna be fine. And and there's no better show than Big Brother if everyone is quarantined and they're all virus free and they go in the house, there should be no issues with the cast whatsoever until the end of production when they go back home. Yeah, the issue, the cast has always been the thing. The issue that happened, I think, which also happened to the Canadians, he's where I had to stop in the middle, was that the crew was the problem because the crew goes in, they build competitions in the backyard for them to play, they deliver like food and stuff like that. Like those are things that have to be thought out carefully. And I think something like this is gives it a better chance to succeed than the Canadian version had. Absolutely, and if you got to think about this too, you can have people watching the security camera footage if they work from home. You know, like they don't need to be. In a studio. So you can, the only people you really have to worry about are the people who interact with the housemates. And if you can guarantee they are quarantined as well, you're good to go. The other interesting question about that whole bubble is what, what role is Julie Chen moving as play? She's the host of the show. She usually only shows up on eviction night when they bring the guests out for interviews. Like, I think you could still have her show up and sort of like, okay, Julie Chen's on this side of the stage. The person who got voted out is on this side of the stage. They talk, and then they leave without interacting with Julie. I think that could still happen. It could, but I think we're going to see a uh, Zoom eviction interview. Yeah, You think, like, they'll have the Julie on Zoom and then the contestant on stage talking to Julie? Yes. Yeah, I, I could see that, too. I don't know how they're going to do it. I think they could. They might have Julie there on, on, like, the first night, and they may not have her back on the actual set until the finale. I, I I think it'll be a case where she will not be there until the finale. Interesting. I just don't think they want to set a weird precedent. I think they want to look like they're being as cautious as possible. No unnecessary. You know what I mean? I don't yeah. think they want to give the fans or critics any reason to say they're being reckless more so than they already are accused of. Yeah, that's true, and it, I I just curious how long they let the season go. Usually, a season runs about three months, so if they're starting in August. You think maybe that they would probably go to like late October to keep to, to keep the math intact, and they and that you're, they're hoping they by November sweeps they have their some of their shows ready to go. I think that's the CBS's golden hope here. 
Yeah, I don't think they pushed it back necessarily because of the cast. I think they did it scheduling-wise for yeah. themselves. Yeah, because I think a sort of same case, another show we're going to talk about, The Amazing Race, originally supposed to premiere in May after Survivor ended, and they said, you know what, we're going to hold off on this, wait for fall, save it for fall, and that would try to be a very smart decision because that's one of the few things that's guaranteed to have original programming in the fall. Yeah, and that's another one that you, they want to probably save it because who knows when they'll be able to pull it off again. Yeah, because right now, like, let's go there next because I think you got a big brother failure. Amazing Race 32. Obviously, the show itself, like, they were the first production actually had to stop because they were filming their 33rd season in March. They got through three legs at the stop because they were in Europe and the coronavirus was really spreading. They sent everybody home. Season 32 was filmed back in 2018. They've been sitting in the can for about two years. Now they will finally release it to the world, and this is the one show you can safely guarantee will be going from start to finish in the fall. Yeah, nothing's going to stop this. Uh, you know, it's interesting because we're going to go from things like season 30. This isn't really that deep a thought, but we're going to go things that were in the can since 2018 to the future when things are going to be released ASAP. Yeah. Like there is going to be a rush on production and it's going to keep going and going and going. And anything that's in the can is from Netflix, from all these companies is going to be released soon because they got to fill time. They got to get new content out there. So it's very interesting. And doesn't Tiger King feel, feel like years ago at this point? Oh my God, it does. Like, it's so hard to, like, even the last dance feels like it was millennium ago. Yeah. Yeah, it does. But yeah, amazing race should be good to go. And that'll definitely, you know, it'll be super entertaining. Give us something to watch in the meantime. Yeah. I know. Are you a big amazing race guy? No, but that is something I want to get into. My fiance has recently said that she'd love to be on it, so I've got to do my research and watch it. So I will be tuned in to this upcoming season. Yeah, I will say it's definitely a fun show. I always have loved it. Phil Kogan's a fantastic host. And, like, this show, I think it's going to be very interesting to see its recession because this is a show that CBS has not really respected most of the last couple of years. It's kind of say, okay, like, it has its solid range. It's not a big, like, blockbuster like Survivor is for them. They kind of save it. They'll film a season like, okay, like when something flops for us, we'll put the Amazing Race on to stabilize things. Now Amazing Race saying, okay, you're the star of the fall for us. Go. Yeah, you you've got the uh, you've got the brass ring now. You've got the baton. Yeah, time to run with it. And and Phil Kogan, he has that other new show, which I know you're a huge fan of, Tough as Nails. Yes, Tough as Nails is a fantastic show, and I mean. For those who have not watched, it's basically, this was filmed a while back. This is basically focusing on, like, a bunch of America's essential workers competing to show their toughness. And it's like, this is a great show. Very racially diverse as well. You have a lot of minority people of color on this show. You have a wide variety of ages. Not This is not your big brother, half the cast is models. This is a real hardworking Americans. I think that appeals to a lot of people. I have to check it out. I know you've been raving about it. I haven't had the opportunity, but it is on my you know, on my watch list. Yeah, you need to check it out. It's a lot of fun. I mean, the tasks are very interesting, the way they do it. Like, they the thing that's intriguing about this show is, and you would know as a reality guy, a lot of the formula of the reality show is, okay, here's a group of 12 people. We Every episode, we kick somebody off. They, what they do is a little different, where there's a team-based competition, individual competition. At the end of every episode, somebody is out of the individual game where they can win $200,000. But they're, they are still on team, so the characters are still on the episodes, even if they can't win the big prize. So, like, they're still playing the team half of the game. So, you have, Oh, so you never lose the people you like. You don't lose the people you like. Like, last week on the show, the roofer Lee, who I think is, a, like, a 60-year-old, tough-as-nails guy who everybody loves, he lost the individual competition, but he's still playing on his team, so he'll be on the show until the end of the season. Well, that's good. So, I, is there a social aspect to the game where you want to make your teammates like you so they try harder, or no? 
not really because a lot of these like sort of like focusing on how these interact with each other to get these tasks done and like that's where the drama comes in because it's like some people are experiencing one thing and some people are not in others and then seeing how they work together is the challenge of the show in terms of the team aspect interesting interesting yeah i definitely want to check it out yeah it's highly compelling so i think it's like four episodes at the moment and again phil cohen a little like a little kooky he's trying to like be the host on like he tends to go a little cliche heavy on this show, but the, the characters themselves, the people they cast, very interesting group of people. Awesome. Like they like they have to do tasks like lay rail, like lay rails at a at a at a uh, train station and pull a tra- pull a caboose as a team about like five hundred feet to like get them s- to get to win a task, stuff like that. Building like a fence on a farm, like disassembling cars, like all kinds of like stuff like that is the tasks of the teams. Well, it sounds it sounds awesome. It's very entertaining. I will say, Amazing Race number one on my list this fall. I cannot wait for that. And if you're a reality TV fan, I think aside from Survivor, which I have my own issues with, the fact that they're being so stubborn with how they're going to make the show, like anything reality based. I mean, it sounds like I get Mass Singer back going in soon on Fox. The Bachelorette's filming soon. Love Island on CBS, another one we haven't talked about. They're filming soon. So, if you like reality TV? This is the time for you. Absolutely, and game shows. Game shows. I'm going to talk about more game shows in the future. Those are the things that like are very quick to turn around. So like you could film like I don't remember. Do you did you hear the story about who wants to be a millionaire? The celebrity issue, how it filmed before the pandemic ended. No, but I'm I'm sure they filmed a bunch in a day. So what happened with that is like right before the sh- shutdown happened. I think Jimmy Kimmel's like conditioning was there. They got rid of the audience. They played with only the with him the host, like the contestant and their celebrity helper. So like they had basically three people on the stage and they had the crew around the background. They filmed all nine of their episodes in about a three day span. And right after that, the California shutdown order went in. So they barely got their season through. Yeah, I definitely knew they filmed a bunch in a short amount of time. And California, it's really tough when, when that's one of your hotspots for main productions, California is tough, but reality shows tend to be off the grid, so to speak, and can film anywhere. Now, we said Big Brother's filming in L.A., but there are other shows that could make it work if they go to, you know, places that are handling the coronavirus better, so to speak. Yeah, and, like, the game shows, like, I'll be doing more of the game shows. Like, next week, I had Pecan Star talk about Holy Moly, which we talked, which, it, that was already pre-filmed. ABC has had a lot of game shows on this summer. They stopped airing new episodes a couple of weeks back. I thought they're trying to hold some inventory in case they need to air some in the fall. But, like, those, you, you easily say, okay, like, let's get our host here, let's get our crew here, let's film, like, eight episodes over three days, and then we'll just, like, space them out, and then we can have them ready to go if we need, like, spackle for the schedule. Yeah. Yep, because you can do it. You can get a hotel, store everybody in it, make sure they're quarantined, film, and then send everyone on their way. Yes, yeah, it's not, yeah, that's the thing. I think you'll see some of these game shows. I think, like, the Supermarket Suite reboot with Leslie Jones, so I think that they'll figure out a way to get that produced and get that on the air. Shark Tank is intriguing because, again, it's a reality show. So I think that that could be interesting to see how they produce that. They could do a bunch of pitches in, like, a week and get everybody out of town. Like, I think those are things that you could see starting to launch up. 100%. And anything animation is not applied because stuff like Family Guy and The Simpsons, they can do that all remote. Absolutely. So, again, if you're an NCIS fan, don't expect your fall season to start on time. Family Guy will start on time. Your game shows will be there. And your reality shows will be there. So that's that's the outlook on TV, I think, for pretty much the rest of 2020. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once Big Brother hits, I'd love to come on and kind of break down the season as it goes with you. Yeah, definitely keep that in mind. Like I said, pop culture is still going. So we're going to keep this this bit alive until we have 
some sort of actual normalcy in sports, not this teeter-totter landscape where, like, we had potential for an outbreak threatening this, this season, the baseball season after four days. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know what? If the worst happens and we don't have even reality TV anymore, we can always dive into old uh, uh, Sunday uh, newspaper cartoons and break those down. Yeah, well, that's, I'm hoping we don't have to get that far. I will say, though, one, <laughs> one thing I will point out, though, in terms of, like, the will of these reality shows to get back on the air, I'm as a Survivor super fan, I'm very disappointed that show is not trying to be more creative in how they get their show off, off the ground. What do you mean? What's going on? Basically, obviously, they film in Fiji most of the time. They basically said they got pulled from the fall schedule. They're not going to be ready on time. And their thing is, we're committed to Fiji. We're going to make it work in Fiji. But that involves them bringing crew from all over the country to all over the world to Fiji. I don't know when it's going to happen. And whereas, like, Love Island, which also films in Fiji, is bringing its entire show to Nevada for the season. They're going to basically quarantine their crew there. And, like... I don't understand why Survivor can't like do something domestically for one season just to try and get themselves off the ground. Where if you're waiting for international travel restrictions to be restricted, they could be going potentially the entire year without a new season. Mm, gotcha. So they're not willing to adapt. They are not willing to adapt. And I get that they get tax rebates in Fiji to film, but like this is a point where like you can't film a year in like Hawaii or something. Or like the or with the uh well, that the Virgin something like the Virgin Islands off of Florida. So you got I think you have to be a little more flexible than they're being. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they have everything set up in Fiji and they just don't want to move it. That's probably another reason. Yeah, because what happened with them also is like they usually film their seasons back-to-back. So, like, the the fall season, the spring season, they filmed them basically in a four-month period in Fiji, then they leave. I think they were about, they had the pre-production set, they are about to fly the cast out, right, before the shutdown happened for season 41. Then they stopped, and they've been on hold ever since. Hmm. So right now, my hunch is they're going to try and wait it out and film season 41 in the fall, have it ready for spring 2021, which I think is a mistake. I think they could have filmed two seasons if they actually were committed to doing one in the United States. I see your point. Yeah. That's frustrating to me. Amazing Race is a different animal because it involves international travel. Like that show, not kind of one that's in the can. You're not seeing that again until you have some sort of vaccine. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Which is sad because I love that show, but... It's a reality of the, of the situation. We all have to kind of like put our big boy pants on and just accept what is and what isn't at the moment. And that goes for sports as well and what may be with sports. All right, Alan. Thank you for all the time today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I can be able to follow you on social media and keep on some of the stuff you're up to. Sure. It's Instagram at Alan, A-L-L-E-N, Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, sports. And Twitter is at Alan underscore Austin underscore. And you can watch the Alan Austin show on YouTube. It's a sports comedy talk show. So check it out. I would greatly appreciate it. And Mike, thanks again for having me on. I always love coming on. No problem. I want to thank you for doing that. It's always a lot of fun talking to you. I also want to thank our other guests today, Rick Carpinella from The Athletic, Talking New York Rangers. Also, Pete Considori, uh, Steve Coltso, Joe Choppy, talking New York Rangers. Are you a hockey guy, Alan? I am not. That's too bad. Maybe one of the few sports that might actually have a chance because they're actually doing their bubble in Canada, so they might actually be able to get this off. Hey, if they if they play, I'll watch. Yeah, I will say the Rangers have an interesting team. They have a good first round matchup starting on Saturday against the Carolina Hurricanes. That should be fun. Hey, go Rangers! Let's go Rangers. Also, you can also check out my blog. I talked last week. I feel like this is also a long time about the Woody Johnson mess with the Jets and what he should what should happen with his team. Check out the blog, justundiscoveringourwordpress.com. You want my thoughts on how the Woody John situation should play out with the Jets? No, I, I, that situation is a 
a whole deep dive into stuff we can't get into right now. Yeah, that's that's why it's on the blog. You go check it out there. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can talk. Uh, you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. I put three episodes out last week, Alan. I had the baseball episode, Jason Stark. I had our baseball movie draft, and I did an emergency podcast on Saturday for the Jets trade Jamal Adams. You're a busy man, good sir. Yes, subscribe there and get all those episodes and more. You can also check out my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can find all of the episodes, individual segments out there. So our chat's going to be up, going up there very soon. Looking forward to it. Yep, leave your feedback and star rank as well. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And in honor of Joe Chaffee's very controversial take in the Ranger fan forum, we're going to have a hashtag lose for Lafreniere. Joe Chaffee believes the Rangers should not want to win this round to get a shot at the best prospect in the NHL draft. Oh, Mike, I apologize. Someone just tried uh, getting into my car while I'm sitting in it. <laughs> That's unusual. So, that is unusual, and he just screamed, sorry, I have the same car. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oy vey. Oy indeed. And that, <laughs> so, hashtag lose for Lafreniere. Coming up next on the podcast, we'll do an emergency podcast. We're going to see what happens this Marlins COVID situation. We'll break down the rock case of what that means for baseball, football, and more with our legal guy, Phil Freyetta. Until then, stay safe, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.